here we are. Time to come into the Word of God, and I just want to welcome those online. Uh, good news, I, I met someone today that checked us out online and are here, so it works, people, right? So that's good. Check us out online, but then come and experience the real, the real goodness, because where is it? It is here, yeah, but that's okay. We're happy, and sometimes, like, this is the season of colds, flus, etc., etc., so, like, there are people that are just away because of that reason, and so we just pray you'll... Um, you know, experience God's healing touch and get back and be with us. Um, you'll notice some signs out there when you came in, and actually there's some really nice figures downstairs in the room here. We've got wise men and shepherds and the holy family and uh, sheep and camels. And anyway, so, so like we're, we're coming, and we're going to have this Christmas thing coming up, and so a bunch of our church family put in a lot of time already and continue to put in time preparing for our little New Life Lights that's going to happen here in, in, in a bit. So just so thank you all that have spent time on that. Erroneous praying. We began this journey about prayer back in, in the September, and I said, let's look at Jonah and let's talk about prayer because there's this sort of a sub-theme that flows through the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah. You may, you've probably heard the story of Jonah. It's a fish, it's spitting them out, and you know, Jonah going back, and Nineveh repenting, and, and it's actually a great story. And I've said, let's, let's trace the theme of prayer in this story of Jonah. Jonah 1, Jonah's not praying. God tells him to go to Nineveh. He's like, forget it. I ain't going there. He's going the opposite direction. He pays, you know, goes down to Joppa, down into a ship. You know, the ship, God sends a storm onto the sea. And it's like, you know, all these sailors are freaking out. They're crawling out to their own gods. They're not working. They wake this guy up. Hey, sleeper, what are you doing? And, you know, pray to your God. And, you know, and, you know nothing happens. And finally, like, well, who are you? And what are you doing here? He's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I serve the Lord. Yahweh, you know, the guy who created the sea and the land, and they're like, what are you doing? Well, you, you, your God is the God of the sea, and you got into a boat? What are you thinking, you know? And he's like, what are we supposed to do to you? Well, throw me over, and the sea will probably calm down. And they keep rowing, no, 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 no. Like, okay, God, the sailors are praying. Jonah's not praying. The sailors who are not, who, who up until recent times have not even known this God, are now praying to this God, saying, hold, don't hold this man's blood against us. Throw him into the ocean, boom. Hits the water, the sea calms down, and these guys believe in God, offer sacrifices to him, make vows to him. I mean, they, they are truly converted in this story to worship the, the, the one and only God, and Jonah is now drowning in the ocean. Doom, 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 going down. He's, it's, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm dying here. It's over. And then God says, no, it's not. And he sends this great fish. <laughs> He swallows Jonah, and then for three days, Jonah sits in that fish, and he stews, and he wonders, and he's stuck between life and death. He's not dead, but he's not alive, and he's, he's sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. Finally, he prays to God in the end of the three days, and he offers this prayer, which is recorded in chapter 2. And at the end of that prayer, which um, some would say he didn't repent, I, I think he's turning back to God as best as he knows how in, his, in that moment. He acknowledges God, I'm going to return to your temple. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he, he finally you know, focuses on God and prays to him. And then God commands a fish, and it vomits him onto the, onto the beach. And then the word of the Lord occurs a second time to Jonah. Now get up and go to Nineveh and preach the message that I give to you. And so he's like, okay, 
And he does it this time, right? And, and, and he goes and he, you know, 40 days and then it will be destroyed. And, and, you know, he's supposed to preach for three days or, you know, or, you know, it takes three days to get around the city. But the first day, suddenly people hear the message and, and like the gossip lines are just like, boom, flowing. It's like a party line in the old days, you know, when you had telephones, you'd hear everyone's conversation. I mean, everyone knows what's going on. And suddenly people are like, are like humbling themselves and they're putting on sackcloth and they're lying in ashes and they're crawling out to a God that they didn't know before. The king himself of Nineveh, the most powerful monarch of the day, gets off his throne, takes off the royal robes, puts on the sackcloth, sits in the ashes, and and makes a royal decree. Everyone, we need to call out earnestly to this God. Perhaps, perhaps he won't bring this calamity upon us. And even don't eat, don't drink, and even cover up the animals with sackcloth, and don't even feed them or water them. Like, we need to all call out to God, this God who has forecasted judgment upon us. And at the end of chapter 3, we see this verse, verse 10. It says, uh, sorry, uh, 3 verse 10, I thought, okay, it says, God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, and he relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Okay, now this is verse 1. We have this great thing, and, and God, God said, okay, yeah, they've turned to me. We found out last week, right? God makes this promise in Scripture, right? If you humble yourself, sp- pray to God, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways, he'll listen. He'll heal. And, and so here we have this, this wonderful revival in, in Nineveh. A bunch of violent, blasphemous, brutal people humble themselves, pray, seek God's face, and he says, okay, in my mercy, my grace, I'm willing to relent from doing what I said would happen to you. And in chapter 4, verse 1, we find Jonah angry. He's literally burning up. And I say this erroneous praying because he's going to pray in a moment, but you're like, you're like now Jonah is praying, and, and he's not praying in a good way. He's angry. I have a picture here. Um, this is Jonah right here. The smoke is coming out. of What makes you angry? All of you have a trigger somewhere in there. And some of you are, are like Jonah. It's like, boom, comes out. Others of you, you, you are passive-aggressive in your anger. Like, you're, you're angry, but I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to, you know, you know, pout, and I'm going to, you know, be, you know, hold on. I'm not going to, you know. And, and, you know, as some cultures that are very pacifistic, they're angry people, but they don't do it in, in this way. But they, they, they just, you know, have their, manipulate their anger in other ways, right? And, and so, but here it is. All of us have an anger trigger. All of us. I'm sitting at the store yesterday, and I didn't do this, but uh, I'm getting irritated because we're looking at shoes, and there's two guys in red shirts standing there talking to each other with their phones, and they're, and I'm like, I'm clearly picking up a shoe, and I'm looking at it, I'm looking at the size, and I'm like, hey, are you guys working here? Like, do you want to help? Are you able to help me? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, we're able to help you, and then they don't come over. They kind of just keep standing there, and I'm like, like, are you working here or not? You know, and and I'm like, this is your job to to sell shoes, but I mean, so I'm getting angry, right? You're, you're, You're driving in Lloydminster, right? You get to that merge lane, right? You know, merge means, like, continue progression. <laughs> Anticipate an opening. Speed into the opening. Signal, you know, but not in Lloyd Mister. It's like, stop, or it's like, you know, you know, knock someone out of the lane, or, you know, it's like, who knows what, and you're just like, ah, oh, you know. Red light is a suggestion in Lloyd Mister, right? Like, you should stop, but if you don't have to, if you can, just keep going, you know, whatever. If you're, if you're busy texting, don't worry about it. Someone else will stop, you know, and the anger. Ooh, ooh. Some of you watch the news and you get angry. Yep. 
Some of you, you know, you go to work and there's things happen there and you get angry. Jonah's angry. And we're like, why is Jonah angry? Now, now other people, as they go through the book of Jonah, they always uh, anticipate chapter 4, and they talk about chapter 4 and chapter 1 and chapter 2. I haven't done that. I'm, I'm just going through the story as the, as the original reader would have done, because I'm, I'm like, we're, we're surprised. A great revival, all this stuff is happening, and now at the end of the story, Jonah's angry. And we're trying to figure out, why is he angry? And look what he does in verse 2. He prays to God. He prayed to the Lord. Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I know that you are a gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, one who relents from sending disaster. I mean, the one commentator says, if there's anything at all commendable about Jonah's conduct in chapter 4, it is that he prayed. Like he prays to God, and he's, he's talking to him. He's like, isn't this what I knew what would happen? We didn't know why he ran away in chapter 1. The, the, the author didn't tell us, but now Jonah tells us in chapter 4. I know because this is what you're like. That even though those are a violent, brutal regime that deserved to be judged, deserved to have burning sulfur pour down upon the city, I know that there was the slim possibility that they might encounter you in this way. A God who is gracious and compassionate. The word compassion is the word uh, from the root word uh, womb in the Hebrew. It's this tender softness that you're slow to anger. This is long of nose. Like this is a person that, that can just endure, endure, endure. It's like that, you know, that long-haired dog that you have with a bunch of toddlers? And the toddlers grab its hair and they pull its ears and they grab its tail and, and they, they drag the toddlers around the room and it does nothing. Slow to anger. People can irritate you and irritate you and irritate you, God, but you, yet you just kind of, you hold on. Aren't you glad that God is slow to anger today? Boy, man, oh man. He says, the one who relents from sending disaster. I mean, Jonah has great theology. He knows the character of God. This is, this is quoted from Exodus. It's also quoted from the prophet Joel. This is almost word for word from Joel, which would have been a prophecy that they would have been familiar with in Israel at this time. And so he's like, we know what you're like, God, and this is why I'm angry. This is why I'm, I'm praying to you right now, because there is the slim possibility that even these wicked, evil Ninevites could encounter you as the compassionate, gracious, loving God. M.R. DeHanna said the real reason for his anger was just selfish bigotry. Selfish bigotry. Because he honestly thought that only his people deserved this. That this was an exclusive club. That somehow grace and mercy and compassion and faithful love was only for a certain select group of people. And everyone else, well, tough luck. Basically, go to hell. And it's shocking. This is his prayer. And then he says, <laughs> and it just gets better. And now, Lord, verse 3, take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Just put me out of my misery, Lord. I've had enough. Let me die. Uh, now, here's like, you're going to see in chapter 4, Jonah is like, woo hoo hoo You know, he's, he is up and down and up and down. And it, you know, like, you got to be careful with your emotions because they don't always give you a consistent reality, picture of reality. 
But he now is faced with this, 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 this compounding pressure on his chest of like God has, has forgiven this wicked, evil, horrible nation and now I'm angry and, and, and I just, just, it would be better for me to die. Just let me go. Now just stop the story for a minute. Pause. He's praying. It is okay to be honest in our prayers with God. I don't know if you, some of you were here in May 2022. It was the end of a season of, of history for all of us that was not very nice. And as a church, we decided May long weekend, we're going to have an outdoor service and it's going to be a service of lament. We had a little board set up and, and, and we, we sang songs. We read prayers of lament. I talked about lament. And then we just gave people an opportunity to come and to write down their laments. Because it was like, what do I do with this? My disappointment, my anger, my bitterness. How, what do I do with this? And we said, let's just bring it to the Lord. Because that's what the Psalms present us with. Is that you can bring this stuff to God. And then after that, we, we praised the Lord. And it was like for new life. Like that was the end of that season. It was over. Other people kind of kept living in it, but we didn't. Because we said, yeah, we're marking this moment, Lord. It's over. But people wrote down, yeah. My graduation was horrible. My wedding of, with 10 guests was not what I hoped it would be. I was not able to visit my grandma. They didn't let us in. My, you know, my, my friend, you know, and all these things, you know, stories and stories and stories and just filled the boards of, of lament, anger, disappointment, upset. And we just gave it to God, and then we moved on. Like, like there is a season for that, but what we have in Jonah chapter 4 is, is beyond that. I mean, he is just telling God what he should be doing and what he shouldn't be doing. And he's like, no, just take my life because why am I living? i got to go back to Israel and explain how, how God sent me to this pagan, horrible enemies of ours, and now they repented, and now, you know, it's all in my head because if I wouldn't have gone there, you know, and all this stuff, and he's just all worried about himself. Me, 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 I, I, I. Throughout chapter 4, Jonah's all alone. It is a dangerous place to be, all alone. In your own head, with your own thoughts, awful place to be. It's good to, to retreat and have those moments, but then you need to have some community around you to talk about these things, because that's where we process it. And as we gather and discuss it, we can flush it out and we can kind of recalibrate and it's, it's healing to our souls. But when you're by yourself, just listening to the same record playing over and over and over and over your head, it sends you down the wrong path. Take my life. I mean, what kind of prayer is that? It's a horrible prayer. And we all know, because all of us have experienced death of loved ones, and, and we have also experienced people that have taken their lives and that's a horrible reality and it, it leaves deep wounds in, in, in our church and in our families and in our friendships because because you're now we're trying to make sense of this and, and and so like this is a horrible place to be it's an unnecessary place to be and the lord answers in verse four and says he asks is it right for you to be angry in verse four the lord said is it right for you to be angry Amazing that God doesn't give him a full theological lecture on the, in, you know, the inconsistencies of his faith. He just asks him a question. Uh, we could all learn from this, right? Some of us, we want to just give people the full diatribe and maybe a good 
question would accomplish more than just us giving them the full lecture, five points with subpoints and subpoints and application items. Let's just ask a good question. You might be surprised where the conversation goes. God just says, is it really right for you to be angry? Where does that come from? And you and, you and I should really dig deep and say, and say, you know, why do I get angry when the guy at, you know, sports check doesn't serve me? Like, why, well, why am I irritated with that? It wasn't in Lloyd. It was an uh, out of Just so you know, I'm not criticizing anyone in our town here, but, but uh, certainly those guys in Sherwood Park are like that. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> why does it make me angry? And, and I got to, you know, deal with that. Why, why does it get angry when that piece of machinery doesn't start properly or when, yeah, I'm driving and someone is going 30 in a 50 zone. Come on, 30 in a 50 zone, you know, as if like a minute is going to make that much difference, but it will, you know, because I got to get there, you know, and what is the problem? Hmm. Why are you angry when your page doesn't load in less than 0.45 seconds, right? Like, why is that? Come on, load, 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 load. Like, you know, why? And we, back in the old days, the internet, you know, it was like, ding, 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 ding. You know, we, it was five minutes and then the page loaded, right? We, we waited, we were happy to see it load, but now it's like, it's not 0.005 seconds. Like, what's going on, you know? And so there we go. What makes us angry? Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer him. Verse five. He left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there, sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city makes this little shelter. Can you imagine, it, it, like, you know, like survivalists, right? Like, this is like bare sticks, maybe a few slats on top. It's like this very primitive shelter. It's not very effective when you're in this hot, dry, arid climate. Uh, I was in Tajikistan in September, and, and there was this market area on, on this highway. It's like a little pass, and up on the top there, there was this big market area, and then all these, like, kiosks with nuts and pomegranate juice and little, little tea areas where you could gather and have tea, but all of them were covered fully with, like, this, this, this heavy, you know, tarp, you know, so, so that it, it sheltered from the sun because in the, in, in the heat of the day, it's just so hot, and you can't be out in the open. You know, here in you know, like Mr. Like, we're like, yeah, get on the patio and no shade. Like, I want the sun, you know, give me vitamin D, right? Like, we're, you know, we're deprived, you know, northerners. But, you know, in this climate, there he is under this primitive shelter. And he's waiting to see. Maybe they'll turn around and become evil again. And God will send burning sulfur and boom, blow up the city. Oh, yeah. Maybe this is just a bad dream. I'll wake up and it'll be better, you know. And he's not clear in his head. He's waiting to see what will happen. And in verse 6. Sorry, I have a picture. Sorry, Jonah waiting here. Let's go back. There he is. Waiting, looking, wondering. And in verse 6 it says, The Lord God appointed a plant. And it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head, to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. So imagine this primitive little stick shelter and suddenly this little plant comes up starts growing super fast i have a picture here this is potentially one of the the castor oil plant it kind of looks like a plant that's very common in canada very popular right now but there it is really shady you know it's, but it's not that plant just so you know it's different than that you know um and uh, it's growing up, and it's filling in, and suddenly the shade and the, the temperature goes down, and, and, and that angry, bitter, ready-to-die guy is now super happy. He rejoiced with a great joy is the literal Hebrew translation there. He's like, yeah, woohoo! 
I'm good, you know. I mean, do you ever have that, you know? Like you, you know, you're having a bad day and you go to McDonald's and you'll, you know, peel this thing off the cup. Oh, I want a free coffee. Yay, my day is so good, you know. And it's like, really? That little, you know, free coffee is going to make your day good? But, you know, we're all like this, right? Circumstances change and suddenly we have joy again, right? You're up and you're down and you're up and you're down and you're up and you're down. And God sends this grace to him. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, often grace is, is, is a metaphorical picture of, 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 of like shade. God's grace is like shade that brings healing and coolness and, and, and comfort to your soul. And he's like, here God, in his grace, gives him this plant that provides comfort, and he now is happy. Yay! Woohoo! So glad. And then, verse 7, when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. Here's the, here's, here's, here's my, there he is. <laughs> Probably the root, you know, and then, then this plant, you know, and the heat just kind of dries up, shrivels. And, 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 of course, you know, Jonah probably wakes up and he hears the sound of nibbling. What's going on? What's going on? Oh, no, there's a worm. You know, he's trying to squish that worm, but it's too late. The plant is dying. And then, heaped on top of this reality, in verse 8, it says, As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. This is the great wind they call the Sirocco winds. They, uh, they at times can have the force of a hurricane wind. They uh, described in, in, by Stewart as a constant hot air so full of positive ions that affects the level of serotonin and other brain neurotransmitters, causing exhaustion, depression, feelings of unreality, and occasionally bizarre behavior. Even today in the Middle East, if you commit a crime during a Sirocco, there is leniency because there's like everyone is crazy during a Sirocco. So yeah, of course you killed that guy because yeah, the winds made you nuts, right? And so uh, instead of 10 years, we'll give you five years. You know, that's, that's the way it works, right? So, so here is this wind. So whatever, whatever dry leaves were left on, on that vine, are now blown away, right? Gone. And it's getting hotter. And the sun is beating down on him. And the good feelings he had in the shade are now all gone. And he's back into the pit. You notice that? He almost fainted. And he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Oh, the plant is dead. <laughs> you know, it's awful, right? He was so good, and now he's so bad. I mean, do you see what he's praying in this chapter? Hardly an example of good praying, right? So just so you realize, right, this is erroneous praying. But God is patient and gracious to him through this whole book, and especially in this chapter, God keeps talking to him. It's like, you think God would just, you know, smack him and spank him and, you know, give him, punish him, but, you know, God's just trying to teach his prophet a lesson here. It's better for me to die than to live. I got a picture, sorry, of the Sirocco winds here. Uh, there you go, you know. Have you ever heard of them? Yeah, I mean, they're just, they come in and they just, and, and they just cause all sorts of grief. And in verse 9, God responds. So this is the dialogue going back and forth. This is prayer. We're talking to God. We're communicating with God. Uh, you know, and, and we're expressing ourselves and he's responding. And we need to, to learn from him in these moments. And God asks him, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Again, a question. 
He could have given him another full diatribe and, and lecture, but God's just like, is that really right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, yes, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. Now, understand, because we're in church, and this is in civilized and, and you know, family-friendly, but like, he is almost cussing here. Are you angry? Yeah, I'm blank and angry. Angry enough to die. You know, insert, you know, words from your shop or your office where you work. You know, you all, you know, from your school, you, you hear these words, right? I am angry to die. I'm, I'm yeah, you know, and, and, and he, he is just at a point of, you know, complete irrationality. Yeah, the plant, that ticks me off. I had it so good and now I have it so bad. We have to be careful with our emotions and our circumstances of our life, because if that, if we, how we feel is always based on our circumstances. Like, yeah, that it is a roller coaster. And God's like, if you're walking with me, we we can we can level out this ride, Jonah. If you have a connection with me, then you don't feel the ups and downs the same way. Why? Because because I'm carrying you through it. But if you just keep letting the circumstance dictate how you feel, boy, I'm down and I'm ready to die. And God's like, okay, well, let's talk about this little um, learning illustration that I provided for you here. In verse 10, he says, So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over, did not grow. It appeared at night and perished in a night. I mean, it was a one-shot wonder. It was just there, and then it was gone. And you had such deep concern for that tiny little plant. You didn't even plant it. I planted the plant. I caused it to grow. And you're all upset about this. Like, do you really see this, Jonah? And then in verse 11, which I'm not sure if I I got it up in the slide here, but listen to verse 11. And God says, but may I not care about the great city of Nineveh? which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left as well as many animals. May I not care? And then, and then the story ends there. He's like, you care about this planet? He's like, God said, don't I have a right to care about this great city? It's got 120,000 know, people that, that have, have no moral compass in their life. And shouldn't I not care? Plus all the animals. Like, I care about my creation. I care about people creating my image. Don't I have a right to show compassion to those people? Can I not care? And then that's the, that's the end of the story. God gets the first word in the book of Jonah. He gets the last word in the book of Jonah. And we don't even know what happens to the little pouty Jonah in this story. Like, where is he? Who knows? But as we read the story, we need to say, where do I fit into this story? If you're watching this online or you're here as a guest for the first time, you're just checking out church and you're new to this whole thing, uh, the fourth chapter really is targeted to, to the Christian people. Uh, the story for you is, is chapter 1 and chapter 3 where people can turn to God and find his forgiveness. And, and if you're new to the faith, like that is God's gracious. He offers salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and you can embrace that and find the, the healing that the, the sailors found and find the, the salvation that the Ninevites found. But chapter 4 is like, Christians, wake up. Because sometimes we can be like Jonah. Alan, in his commentary, says, a Jonah lurks in every Christian heart 
whimpering his insidious message of smug prejudice, empty traditionalism, and exclusive solidarity. A group of Baptists in 1787 got together in England. And one of the young pastors was like, we should be sharing the gospel to the whole world, not just doing ministry in England. So, so let's set up a society where we can share the gospel to places that have never heard about Jesus Christ. And an old man gets up and he says, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do so without your aid or mine. A Jonah in their midst. Well, William Carey, thankfully, didn't listen. He went to India and established missions there, which grew and grew and grew. And, and, and thank God that the Jonah in the room didn't dictate the actions of the group. But there's always a grouchy Christian somewhere trying to pour a fire hose onto good ideas. And sometimes it's to ease their own conscience because they're not doing anything and they've never shared their faith with anyone and they're just trying to find a way to justify their selfish, self-indulgent behavior. And the book of Jonah just kind of digs into our hearts to say, do we think that there's anyone outside of the reach of God's grace and love? Is there anyone so bad who don't deserve this? Sometimes we, you know, we, we think, well, I'm better than them. Uh, you know, you know and, and you know what? Like, they're getting what they deserve. I mean, that's what Jonah's wishing for here, and God gives them what they don't deserve. But the truth is that if God gave all of us what we deserve, this room would be very, very quiet. There'd be a couple little kids running around. That's it. Because all of us have received grace and mercy. And Jonah, at the end of the story, is, is sitting there. I mean, who, who in the whole book receives the most grace? Jonah does. He should die in the sea. He should die in the fish. He should, you know, he, he should die in the sun. But God continues to extend grace to Jonah, and he continues to extend grace to you and to me. Maybe you came out of a self-righteous environment where you just felt like you were better than other people. And the book of Jonah says, no, no, God loves everyone. And we at New Life are keen on that. And if you think otherwise, and this isn't the church for you, you think there's kind of classes of people and grades of Christians? I mean, that, that's not the message of the Bible. And God loves people. So anyway, here's, here's my lessons from, from Jonah. <laughs> we can have a great theology and still be wrong in our attitude and perspective. Jonah had the right answers. He would have got a 99% of Bible college for, for answering, what does the Bible teach about God's character? Well, he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, blah, blah, blah. You know, but, but deep down, it hadn't hit his heart. And sometimes, you know, like during, you know, the period of time when there was lots of video sermons going online, I was kind of watching to see what other people were doing. And there was a particular group from another part, of, from a different country where, where you know, they, they preach, and they're, they're biblical preachers, but if you look at all the pictures on YouTube of this particular church, none of them are smiling. They're all like, you know, mm, you know let's preach the word, you know, and, and I'm like, you know, there's something missing there. God's grace, his love, his compassion, and this is something we need to pray for. Lord, I, I know the truth, but help me to now live it and experience it. And the second lesson I would say is God can use our environment and circumstances to teach and to train us. Maybe God is using something in your life right now to get your attention. Maybe things are, are just a little bit off and you're like, man, why is it off? It's because God's like, because I want to get your attention. Growing in your faith 
is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to involve sacrifice. It's going to involve you, you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone and maybe giving up some of your personal rights and, and my schedule and blah, blah, blah. And, 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 but, but he uses the environment and circumstances to teach and to train you. And it's not fun, but it's okay. Just receive it from the Lord. Okay? Three, prayer is a tuning of our heart to the pitch of God's love. You know, if you've ever tuned a piano, the guy, girl brings in this little fork. Ding! It's a perfect pitch. Whatever it is, C or B or E flat, whatever. Now, you know, and then, ding! And then he, you know, plays the piano and, it, you know, tunes it so that it, it, it gets into the perfect pitch. If it's a little bit off, then you hear, whoa, 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 you know, getting it right on, you know, and you know, that happens on the odd time up here on stage. So, you know, you know, so if it's not quite on, you know, and you got you to get that on, you know, and, 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 and prayer, we're trying to tune our hearts to, to the pitch of his love. So that we look at people the way God looks at people. And sometimes that's hard, to be honest, right? I mean, you know, we live in a country where, where people have been on the streets celebrating acts of brutal terrorism and, and absolute carnality. And, and in our nation, people are marching celebrating the death of babies and the rape of women. And they're, they're celebrating it in our country. And I'm like... How do I feel about that? You know, like, you know, a country like Israel can be attacked and, and, and people are celebrating in our country. I, I don't like that, but I need to pray for those people that they would discover the grace of God because God even loves them, even in their complete confusion. He even loves them. And that's hard to believe. But that is how deep his love and grace goes. So prayer tunes our heart to the pitch of God's love. Number four, God places a high value on humanity and loves them and extends his grace and mercy to them. We're created in his image, everyone. The guy, you know, the person downtown, you know, sleeping in the, in the cove there, you know, and the, you know, God loves them. The rich oil field executive, you know, in, in his gated community, God loves him. The woman at work that is a pain in the rear end to you, God loves her. I mean, let's be honest, right? We're talking about going to two services, right? And, and there is a feeling in new life like, oh, I kind of like the one service. We're all together. None of you are talking to everyone in this room today, but you are all together, you know. But what we're doing by keeping it in one service is we're basically telling the rest of the people in our community, go to hell. There's no room for you here. The parking lot's full. The chairs are full. If you come in here, you got to sit next to the pastor and his boys in the front row. How fun is that? That's not fun, you know. We're, we're basically saying that. I'm a church person, and I don't want to come and sit next to the pastor's sons, you know? You know? So, so the, our unchurch friends, they want to have a nice row in the back, kind of in the dark shadows of the alcove, so they can sort of take it in without feeling like people are looking at them, and, and we don't have room for them right now. Do you understand that, people? Why am I pushing two services? I don't, I mean, it's easier for me. It's easier for Ben and the teams to, to do one service. Yeah, it's easier, but is it the right thing? When I think about the love and the grace of God, it isn't the right thing. Why am I asking for some of you to sign up for 9 a.m.? Because we're saying there are still people in our community that God loves that need to experience his grace. And right now, if all of us brought a friend, there'd be no room for them. Much less if you invited a family or a couple. I mean, just imagine. We need to make room for God to do work in people's lives, and that starts with him doing work in our heart. And some of you praying and saying, Lord, do I need to show up at 9? And he says, yeah, you need to show up at 9. You need to readjust your Sunday morning schedule so you can get here early. And maybe, you know, even you should come to 9, and then you should serve at 11. 
downstairs with the team. I mean, you could actually give your full morning. I mean, is that too much to ask? I don't think it's too much to ask. Why? Because God loves people. That's why we're doing it. We're not just trying to, you know, but we're saying, yeah, we want to create room for people in Lloydminster to come and to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. Number five. As a result, we need to pray for people and value and love them as God loves them. There's someone in your life that you think, man, they are beyond God's grace. But the Bible would seem to indicate no one is beyond the reach of God's love and grace. Let's not give up on people. You got your little blue book. If you, I got mine, and I've written some names down there. Some people are just indifferent to church stuff. But then I have some people in my life that are almost hostile. They give me a vibe like, I don't want you or anything that you have to do with it in, in my life. And, you know, a guy yesterday turned his back to me because you know, he saw me, and I'm like, yeah, yeah I get it. Because I represent something that he doesn't want anything to do with. And that's okay. Guess what? He's in my book. <laughs> God's working on him. <laughs> Team, would you come up? Some of you are going to go down to the foyer after the service and write your name. And that's a commitment. It's not, oh, maybe if I get up in the morning. No, you're going to be here at 9. Maybe some of you as groups of friends should say, let's all show up so that our kids are all together in the class and, and we're going to have kind of an even group between first and second. But I just think we want to extend this wonderful truth to everyone. If you're watching online, like you're, you're never outside the reach of God's love. He loves you. He loves you so much. He sent Jesus to die for your sins. Jesus rose again so you could walk in newness of life. And that's what we're all about here at this church. Experiencing the new life that Jesus gives us when we believe in him. And having experienced that, then going out and living his care and compassion in the places that you work, you live, you play. God wants to use you to share his love in the places where you do your thing. Jonah missed out. A great blessing because of his selfishness. Let's not be like that. Let's experience his love. And if you have never received Jesus Christ, I invite you to do that today. To believe in him. To say, yeah, you died for me, you rose again. I, I, I put my faith in you today. If you are a prejudiced person, you have just some stuff in your life. I, I encourage you to confess that to the Lord and repent and turn from that today. If there's a group of people that you just don't like, don't love, think they're outside of God's love and grace, I am encouraging you today, that is not the heart of God. And we believe everyone is precious in his sight because we're all created in his image. And everyone is equally, has the equal opportunity to receive his grace. So Christians are the most inclusive of everyone. Because we say, yes, you're all God's, you're all created in God's image, and you all have the potential of being redeemed through Jesus Christ. So let's embrace that and live that out this week. Would you pray with me? Lord, forgive us when we've prayed wrongly. Forgive us when we've been bigoted, self-righteous, when we haven't cared for people live around us and work with us. Give us a heart full of your love and grace. Transform us, Lord. We pray that you would help us to make space for more people to know you here at New Life. Do a work in hearts, Lord, and uh, 
I pray if there's anyone that's been watching this or here listening that have never received you, believed in you as their Savior, today they would do that. They would say, yeah, I believe this. I received Jesus as my Savior. I want to live my life for him. And so guide us, Lord. May people, even this Christmas, drive into our church, look at lights, look at the Holy Family and the, the saints, and be drawn to you. Be drawn to explore further what it means to, to know you. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with the team as we, as we close?